0: Welcome to the Rural Sales Show with my dad and host Sinjin Craner. Each week, my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts, authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level. Oh, and make sure you subscribe or rate us on iTunes so you can buy me a motorbike. And now here's my dad. (laughs) This week we talked to Patrick Smelly. Uh, Patrick is a very well-known, regarded, highly esteemed senior journalist. He's worked in corporate communications, worked for some of the biggest PR agencies. He's been a journalist for the Australian, Dominion Post. He's been in the press gallery at the Beehive in Wellington for decades. He served under Roger Douglas uh, back in the day. So Patrick got a lot of knowledge and I got him on the show to demystify media and the media landscape and journalists. And we took a whole bunch bunch of things because kind of the media and journalists can kind of send our blood cold sometimes because we don't know how to deal with them. They can be intimidating because we don't know how the system works. So he's going to unpack that for us. We also share some, we have good anecdotal stories because Pat's a good mate of mine. He's also a former boss of mine back in the day. Um, we talk about him meeting the Queen, um, him sending his daughter Nelson Mandela. So, some lovely little stories there as well. But, yeah, if you want to understand how to demystify the media landscape and how to secure credible media coverage, because, you know, earned media is, is really, really valuable. It's part of your marketing channels, part of your promotions, because um, people predominantly read the media not to read the ads, they do it to read the uh, actual stories that are contained, and he'll define what news means and he'll give some tips and tricks and techniques on how to secure credible media coverage, especially for some of you that might be wanting to pitch into national media publications so patrick runs business desk now which is uh been uh bought by nzme he's got about 26 reporters under him so yeah he, this guy knows his stuff so i'll let patrick talk away and uh hope you enjoy this one a little different but nonetheless i think uh very valuable information you can use and apply so as always listen learn and uh over to patrick okay team this week we are very very lucky to have uh patrick smelly on the show uh, full disclosure, Pat used to be, uh, a very, um, patient boss of mine back in the days of contact energy when I worked there on the marketing side. And Pat is a pretty, pretty cool dude, Wellington based, uh, very esteemed journalistic career. He will be obviously just loving the fact that I'm already pumping him, pumping his tires. Not, um, it's not, it's not like the old days. <laughs> and, uh, we can have a good chat. Um, Pat, welcome to the show.
1: Cheers. Thanks, Anjan.
0: Um, Patrick, probably the best thing to do is like we talked about just before coming on, I'm, I got you on the show because one, you're a bloody good bloke and two, you know what you're doing and you've worked in some pretty senior media, um, gigs and journalist gigs and PR gigs. So I think you've got a lot of value to add to the listeners and tell Thanks. them some of your story. Sure. Maybe, maybe the first thing to do is maybe introduce yourself and tell them a bit of background who you work for and then, and then we'll follow our nose from there. How's that sound?
1: Sure, sure. And, and uh, this is really a potted history. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been a journalist since 1983. Uh, the first story I ever wrote was about the impact of import licensing on the price of carpet, uh, wallpaper, actually, wallpaper. Wow. Uh, the, the, this is before the Muldoon, uh, the Muldoon era, regulated economy, You know, Polish shipyard of the South Pacific was New Zealand's uh, nickname.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: that was I was a junior reporter a business reporter at the Dominion in Wellington and I started writing a lot about GST which was introduced in New Zealand in 1987 and about 1986 and the minister of finance hired me as a junior press secretary to shut me up so um, I then worked at Parliament for about two and a half years, uh, understudying to, to, to Douglas and to some very clever people who were working in the Treasury and the, um, the Beehive at the time, but also a time of great political tumult, um, which you know, we're still sort of recovering from in some ways. Um, I have I've went overseas uh, as Longing and Douglas started to bust up uh, in 88, came back and worked in the press gallery for about 11 years. Uh, the last half of that uh, for The Australian as their first New Zealand correspondent. Uh, back in the days when The Australian was a great newspaper, which unfortunately cannot be said today, mm-hmm. uh, under Paul Kelly as editor-in-chief, uh, the best job I ever had uh, by far. Mm-hmm. Money to do whatever you liked, You could just and you just went and covered the story. It was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I spent a week year in the States, came back, Worked in journalism, hated it, went into PR uh, and worked for various New Zealand big New Zealand companies and, and one or two Australian ones James Hardy, University of Auckland, Fonterra, um, and various others uh, and Contact Energy. And I liked working at Contact and I wasn't a very good consultant because uh, I couldn't do too many things at once. And uh, I worked at Contact Energy uh, through till about 2000 and early 2008. Mid two thousand and eight, as head of comms, eventually and head of brand briefly, uh, we did some great stuff, but it d- didn't uh, didn't hold. As and I both rue the day <laughs> uh, that all our hard work was thrown out by a, ch- a strange yeah. chief, a change of chief executive. It's uh, mm. brand leadership comes from the top. That was the thing I learned about brands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody can be on the same page about about all the things that are written down on a bit of paper about what mm. you you know we trust and respect one another etc 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 but if mm. if the um if the throne doesn't behave that way it doesn't matter how often you say it so um anyway that's after that i was pretty disillusioned with with uh, doing brand work and so i started uh, a business uh, a business journalism business also because I was hopeless as a consultant and couldn't find clients and I had to do something because <laughs> my wife was saying where's the money <laughs> so uh, May 2008 business desk was was I think of it at our birth date in the sense we did our first budget uh, and, and we were wholesale reseller of news to all the big publishers including AAP for a long time Uh Changed to a subscription only model in 2019, uh, sold to NZMe, publishers of the NZ Herald, in January last year. Um, I'm in my earnout glide uh, <laughs> as we speak. Uh, and um, yeah, you know, we have more than twenty reporters now at Business Desk, and and mm. uh, I mean, I think ahead to election year, just to give myself a little plug or Business Desk mm. a little plug, mm, we're going please. to be the we're going to be the the news service that writes about the policy. Uh, yeah. You know, people will do bad things will happen on the, on the election campaign trail, from ranging from being shouted at uh, to making a prat of yourself on a horse or something. Uh, we don't care. We just want to know what the ideas are, what the context of ideas are, is, and and how would a coalition be created? So, yeah. you know, that's that, that's our sort of niche, and that's why we hope people will pay for the, for the news because we're trying to do yeah. a serious job, and uh, it's our niche.
0: Yeah, 100%. So, Pat, on that, I mean, in the show notes we'll put a link to Business Desk and maybe we'll be able to do a bit of an offer for the listeners because I'm very grateful for the one that you gave me. Um, I subscribe to it. I think it's very important we pay for our media. Um, can we kind of unpack, get your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's very important you pay for your media. What are your thoughts?
1: I, I think the the fundamental error that the entire news business globally made probably spurred along by a couple of early, early uh, adopters like the Murdoch uh, Empire to make things free on the internet because ah oh, everyone will just come along and advertise on the internet instead ha <laughs> ha yeah yeah and that turned out to be completely wrong mm. and it took at least a decade uh, which included a period of the of the GFC uh, and a massive swing of uh, revenue away advertising revenue away from traditional news media to social uh, media platforms and and search engines. Um, mm. You know, it, took, it took ages to be able to even start to talk about charging for it until things started looking so dire that people actually really did want the news and started being able, willing to pay for certain types of news, of mm-hmm. which mm. business news is clearly one, because you know, the, the, the better it is, the, the more reliable it is, uh, the more it's actually you know, a useful tool. Just not to say we get absolutely everything right, but we do try.
0: Yeah, good. And I mean, I, you know, I subscribe to The Economist, yourselves, uh, and a couple others as well. And I think uh, as I've grown a wee bit older and wiser, hopefully, um, I'm a lot more, um, although I'm still probably naive compared to you, I'm a lot more um, selective in my media consumption, if that's at like my media diet.
1: I, I actually, uh, for many, many years, have not really read brands so much as names.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: and that's... Yeah, and they're good journalists sprinkled throughout the New Zealand media, sp- mm. and, you know, many of them free. I mean, mm. really top work. Mm. Um, so identifying who you think is actually making sense, not necessarily you don't have to agree with them, but you have to say, well, okay, well they, they seem to know what the hell they're talking about, so I'll, I'll at least yeah. I'll read it, even if it makes me fume. You know, that's yeah. where we need to be. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So then, on the money side, um, maybe contentious, but I'd love to get your view on this as uh, someone who's running. Just also, just briefly explain to the listeners, Patrick Business Desk. Uh, obviously, in a non-pluggy way, which I know you'll do, is it's a syndication service, isn't it? Can you explain for the layman listening to this, who's probably not au fait with that whole? What What, what does that actually mean?
1: I, I I'd describe it as a subscription model.
0: Really, yeah.
1: uh, and in that sense, it's no different from a SaaS it's or, or uh, a Spotify. Or uh, you know, you pay a monthly fee and you get the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, tailor that to some degree to your particular interests, uh, yeah. and to the extent to which you're prepared to receive all 21 of the news stories that we generally write on a busy day into your inbox. Many people mm. find that very valuable. Other people hate mm. it. We give mm. you the option to. You know, you've got to have a little bit of UX uh, along the way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, monthly sub uh, and um, all you can eat, and uh, a lot of our readers actually prefer to read email. So I think we're, mm. we're really catering to to a business and decision making audience, uh, yeah. and so they're not really browsing around on the on the web. They're, they're looking
0: what's what's in the inbox. Yeah. could you did you used to syndicate? Content
1: and media. We used something. to, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so has been that's really we we went through a fundamental business change, a business model mm. change. Yeah. Mm. So we right. used to sell. We used to think of ourselves as a wholesale a content wholesaler. Yeah. And we would called ourselves business desks, so, so that nobody would be able to, to, or nobody would think about the fact that they were getting the same news from the same in like five different publications. Yeah. You see, right. oh, business desk. Yeah. So innocuous. Was, innocuous. Yeah, exactly. We chose a deliberately innocuous white yes, label you learn, name.
0: You learn, you learn all the brand stuff. You learn all the brand stuff. Actually. Exactly. Never exactly. In doubt. Never in doubt.
1: Okay. The, so prob- that- the problem was, you can imagine from a branding perspective, that as soon as we decided to go to subscription model retail, you mm. had this bland name that Yeah, nobody it was had like, heard of. Oh. And then people were saying, oh, how's business news going? Or how's news desk? It's a
0: business desk. It's a business desk, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of people still think my business is called Aquarium, um, but it's not. <laughs> See, I love but, catching you know, but it's my jokes. <laughs> it's so, like, good to uh, have alternatives, aquarium? aquarium? I mean, that's even if they can spell my name properly or pronounce it properly, as you know. And I am yeah. a saint, as you well know, Patrick, having put up with me for many years under your tutelage. Um, so let's talk about um, the money side. Maybe before we get into more of the sort of highlights and moments and lessons you've learned, because I, th- I think you, I think you're a great storyteller and got some fascinating sort of nuggets to share. Is tell me about something that I think the New Zealand listeners here, might, m- not so much the Aussie guys, but the fact when the when the government during COVID provided the media money. To and I'm choosing my words carefully here, keep the media outlets afloat. What was as an insider, what's your view on that? Because my I'm kind of pretty open minded. Sometimes I feel let, let's just let's play devil advocate. I, I think the man on the street thinks that sometimes. The government has gagged their media. How would you respond to that?
1: Oh, I think they. I think they think more than that. I think that they think the government's bought the media, and the bought, media is saying the, the things, media. saying mm. the things that the government wants said. It's not that we're being quiet about anything. It's we're lapdogs who who wait mm. Mm. enthusiastically for for money to fall into our laps and then to write whatever the government wants. And forgive me for jumping complete in the, nonsense, but the
0: complete, yeah, yeah, good. So let's unpack this. Because I just want to, because I think there's a number of things that be people jumping up and down, going, oh, asking the question, asking the question, and you'll be up for this because you're good journo is. Um, do you think the media has been soft on this government?
1: I think it depends who you are. Yeah, uh, I know this is the thing that journalists always say, but I particularly feel it at the moment. If I spend more than twenty minutes on Twitter, I will see at least three th- threads which bemoan the right wing you know Murdoch influence, global right wing conspiracy, media of New Zealand. Mm. Uh and an equal number of threads vehemently attacking the woke left media in this hopeless country You're all just talking <laughs> Maori the whole time. Mm. Uh yeah. and it does feel to me as if people see what they want to see and they call that the media. You know, it's yeah. a bit little what I was saying before that um you know, pick your names. Uh we don't have a tradition, a media tradition in New Zealand like they do in the UK, where we're Papers are politically aligned, and people know that. And so, and the pa- and the papers blare—you know as part of their sensationalism—is to to um, blare very um, kind of over the top versions of of uh, policy positions, usually yeah. on things like caning or bringing back the you know hanging or something.
0: Mm, mm. Um, those, are nice, those are nice subjects for a Friday afternoon, aren't they? Like, yes. hanging and hanging people and self-harm and all this kind of thing. Let's yeah. move on to well, – some- It
1: comes with the territory, is So, I mean,
0: for you, though, like at Business and because yeah. you're a mate as well, like, what's that meant for you guys? What's that money meant for you? What, what have you the done The money now?
1: for us has meant uh, – the most valuable thing for us from that money is that we uh, were able to take on quite a number of uh, new staff – to fund particular editorial projects, and then as the business was growing anyway, and probably grew because of the work that we were able to do with that money, we are now sustaining those positions, all of them. I think we've hired about six people. Go ahead. Uh, none of them are dependent in any way on government funding for their mm. salaries from today. Great. Uh, we've and so that is a good outcome from my perspective. And two of those people are completely new to journalism, um, and they're both women. One is Maori and uh, looking forward to the contribution they can make. It's the hardest thing. There's all these people my age. Like I'm 62, right? So mm. there's, there's not many people stay in journalism as long as I have. Mm. But mm. Those, there's just – where do, where do the new people come from? There are yeah. great new people coming through, but they're, they're, they're a thin bunch because the industry's been so hollowed out. Yeah. So it's great to be able to get, do that. I think that we found with the um, practical reality of the – uh, funding for editorial projects was that it was, it was very much a case of what was your appetite for filling in forms uh, and also your own capacity internally to actually manage a project, which in some small businesses is better than others.
0: Mm, mm, yeah. So it's been really constructive for you because it it's has, really yeah. that money has been a catalyst for you to, one, employ but, younger people. Two, they've, that's enabled you to secure private money and sort of empower and enable the business to sort of go go the next step. Because, I mean, there's 20 staff. There's 20 of you guys now, right?
1: Yeah, 20, I think 23 maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's – yeah, We've got, we
1: got um, Delipa Fonseca starting. It's Monday starting from stuff. Yeah, Brilliant. Good, Brilliant. Good name people.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, Pat, um tell me about – take us on a bit of a journey on your – some of the highlights of your career. What, what are the things that you've enjoyed most as a journalist?
1: Uh, well, you know, extraordinary things that that I would never have got to do without being a journalist uh, include making a fool of myself with the Queen. Uh, dining what did you with, do? What did you do? Oh, I just started – I just – Went down a rabbit hole involving a very complex explanation of a Christmas present I'd received from my brother-in-law <laughs> two years previously, and he'd made a, a like a pegboard calendar out of a picture of the Queen in Rhodesia, 1953, and he cut it all into little bits and put all little bits on nails. And I, st- I was halfway through this, I was like, oh, fuck. yeah. I'm talking to the Queen, man. Did they move on? Moved on. Did they move on? No, you just... no, she moved on. She, she knew she was on to a bad thing. Had, did, she, did she roll her eyes or something? She was very, very polite. Oh, she th- she made some weird comment like, uh, "Well, if you don't care, go by air." That's what they say. And I thought, right, it's almost what's, as what's obscure as what I, I just said. Yeah. But,
0: <laughs> so anyway, then I can thought, I, can uh, I that- just swap you? Can I just swap you one for there? Because I have a little story of royalty fame, which I haven't told anyone else about. So where I went to school, um, uh, school's four hundred years old. It's, it's not that posh a school, but it, like. I, I managed to blag him, get myself in there. And uh, we were founded in 1588 and it's called Newport Grammar, just outside of Cambridge. And uh, I was picked because I was depth head boy and uh, don't know how I managed that either. But anyway, I'm in the lineup and Princess Anne turns up uh, in her um, RAF, big chopping helicopter. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: And exactly the same thing, Pat. I just started talking uh, incessantly <laughs> and uh, – I was told to hurry up and move on, and I think they because they time it to everything. Yes, like yes. you get like thirty seconds. So, so this is actually a d- you we down We d- both suffer from the same diagnosable yeah, condition. Yeah, I, well, I think it's an affliction of genius, really. But yeah. you know, um, I think it's
1: actually known as babbling before the crown, <laughs>
0: <laughs> dropping the knee, dropping <laughs> the knee, and uh, so I rambled on about because she was asking me how how did I become wherever I was, and I and I think she asked about my name and. And that was that took a while, and then like, had, I said, oh, because I was quite good at sports, I haven't been very clever, and anyway, and then uh, then they said, sorry, we're going to move on now, you know, like just shut up, so sort of kind of thing. So with her bodyguards and stuff, so, that was my claim to fame. Um, and uh, anyway, so moving. Well, on. so yeah, that, I mean, I was a week out from I was a
1: chairman of the Press Gallery at the time in New Zealand, and Nelson Bandela was on the country. Because he was coming to the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting, which is why the Queen was in town. So he Mm. was going to the 125th anniversary dinner of the New Zealand Press Gallery as the guest of honour a week later. And I thought, after my encounter with the Queen, I thought, I must not do that again. (laughs) (laughs) And took myself in hand with respect to how I would conduct my conversation with Nelson Mandela, who sat to my left for about an hour, uh, which was extraordinary.
0: On the left. Yeah, he was the
1: guest of honor, and I was the chair of the press gallery, and so did I you got to sit
0: right next door to him for an hour. Yeah, next to Nelson Mandela. Yeah, chatting. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And what did you talk about? Uh, did you just bite your hand all the time and just sat sat your hand Yeah, no, and I say I, nothing.
1: I, yeah, no. Uh, we talked about rugby quite a bit uh, mm. and the Springbok tour uh, mm. and the extent to which he was aware of that and other South Africans were aware of it, and the, but also the extent to which, although they. They were sort of amazed. I remember him saying they are sort of amazed. What's going on in New Zealand? Why don't why people making such a fuss about us? It's you know, rather nice, but God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, it's, you know, it's really kicking the Afrikaners where it hurts because it's the, their game, whereas the Africans don't actually really care about rugby. They're only starting to now. Football was their thing. Yeah. And so, from you know, they loved it politically and they also loved the, the extra sort of twist. They didn't care if the spr- Springboks lost or couldn't play games, that was just hurting their their uh, dominant overlords. Anyway, so that I didn't make a fool of myself as, awesome as far as I'm aware. Uh, what else? Ah, oh, uh, spent a month in East Timor uh, when the whole place was being burnt down by the Indonesian army in 1989, uh, and briefly contemplated uh, life as a roving war correspondent until my wife says that's not part of the deal, <laughs> which was well, fair. And come back and come back home. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know.
0: You, you, you. I remember you saying you spent quite a few times on these government planes, but these government planes seem to either break down or run out of fuel. But I mean, obviously, you're still living, so yes. they can't be that bad. Uh,
1: well, they just can't they go. Light? They can't they go dopey? very far.
0: They're not bad, actually. I think
1: the most this, here's a here's a long haul travel trip tip for you, because mm. there's no screens on those planes. It's just a, you know, it's basically get a, a seat. Mm. Uh, you've got two options. Well, three options actually, but the ones I've been on. Uh, first is to look out the window, the second is to read a book, the mm. third to, is to get drunk with Paddy Gower. Although you can't anymore because because you know, tell me about Paddy Gower.
0: Come on. Oh well, yeah, Mike.
1: you just get you, get you get you get you get things can get convivial on the plane, and, and you know it's <laughs> talking, reading, or looking. you Only three options. Maybe you can listen to a podcast.
0: There could be something else as well. I'm, I'm not sure we listen Eating. to Eating. Eating, eating, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we probably might stop the line there before we get too, too endangered. It's a too. family show. So isn't Paddy it? Gow, it's a family show exactly. Um, Paddy Gower, um, what he's just kind of reinvented himself, hasn't he? What do you think?
1: I don't know Paddy very well. Um, he is a singular individual, though, isn't he? He's, his capacity to sort of uh, wander into a place and and kind of command the the uh, the stage is extraordinary Um you know, I, I think he's a very good journalist. I think he's done some fantastic work on, on drugs uh, and, and, you know, the booze thing is interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm having mm. a year without beer at the moment. It's the de rigueur thing to do is to be a journalist what, what who
0: doesn't year, drink. What month are you on,
1: Pat? Uh, month or week? A day? Uh, two two weeks so far.
0: Two weeks. Oh, of course, because we're into the year. I thought you'd already yeah. done it last year. No. Does wine count or not? Beer. I said beer. Okay, yeah. Okay, good, beer. good. Sorry, just, just, just want to check that. Okay, good. Um, wasn't like uh, I think Paddy Gower, he got his sort of uh, populism when he did Fug's um, Life, didn't he? You know, this is this is the fucking news because oh, he was yeah, in a library or something. Like funny. he, he's yeah. a quite a funny fella. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Paddy Gower. We're here to talk about a different type of Paddy, which is Patrick Patrick Smelly. So Pat, lots of sort of amazing experiences. And opportunities to meet some very, very famous people. You've obviously bored the Queen, and you've hung out with Nelson Mandela. So not many people can claim that. Um, What are some of the more on the more serious side? What are some of the more some of the lessons that you've learnt in your journalism career? Because you know, I think that'd be interesting.
1: I think looking across the journalism and communications careers, because you know they're basically two sides of the same coin all the time. There are some pretty hard rules of of, um, how to behave in public, which Mm. a lot of corporates don't necessarily uh, either quickly get or do well, um, which have to do with understanding that, you know, it's nice if someone writes something nice about you, but news thrives on crisis and Mm. uh, and on... um, Negative. Not, exactly, not, not exactly division but but wherever there is a disagreement about something that's where the news mm. is because you mm. know, people passionately believe one thing or another It's you know for, for pointy-headed people like me where it's the contest of political ideas that's fine it's where, when they they start starts getting nasty that's that's where it's more of a problem um
0: just on that pattern yeah. so just because i've got a view on that which might be unfounded but um you know I often say the news media agenda is a negative bias because they obviously want to tr- trigger. I'd say, the, it's a, imid- I'd
1: say crisis bias.
0: Crisis bias, and then also, you know, if it, you know, that whole adage, you know, or that saying, "If it bleeds, it reads." So, you know, like, um, bleeds, it bleeds, you know, it leads.
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, ble- bleed it reads, or le- ble- bleed it leads even better, exactly. Yep. So, on that, I mean, media have obviously got a responsibility, haven't they, in terms of balanced reporting and all those things, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting in, industry in the sense that it's largely self-regulated. I mean, anyone can wander along and say they're a journalist. You don't mm. have to get a license or anything, although in many other countries you would have to. Uh, mm. And, and you know, then in countries where the government actually does control the news media, they generally have a list and you have to have a little stamp and a book that says you are allowed to do it. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, it's amazing. When did I, I tried to go to the – I went to the United States last year. Mm. God, the palaver to get a, a – um, a working journalist visa. There's a lot of yeah, stuff the they are to pretty you know?
0: tough, aren't they, on, on most things in terms of immigration mm. and all those yeah, things, but, yeah. you know, that's up to them and, and their their nation. Um, mm. So, yeah, biggest lessons, like what are some of the sort of, maybe some mistakes well, that or, you've yeah, learned or, from along the way?
1: When you make a mistake, own up. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're, whether that's a journalist who's made a mistake or a company that's made a mistake and has discovered it. Mm. Um. And the immediate question is, well, everyone's going to know about this soon enough. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to fudge it uh, or are we going to be truthful? Or we'll spin it,
0: you know, the spin.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it's very easy for me to say this in an absolutist way because not all issues are completely cut and dried. And there, there mm. are times when you, you maybe want to make a counter argument for the thing which everyone's going to think you're either guilty of or have done. Mm. But a, a lot of the time you just got to say to yourself, um, it will be quicker and immensely easier if you don't try to, at all to lie about this. Yeah, I mean, I have really experienced this in the Beehive when I, I le- leaked the budget by accident. I was twenty-three-year-old, wet behind the ears, comms advisor to Roger Douglas, and I arranged the bloody thing to be couriered to various opinion leaders before it was read in Parliament, which is a mm. massive breach of privilege. And mm-hmm. so, Roger didn't even blink. He just he just said, oh, "I've got to offer to resign." Wrote the letter, mm. went up to Longie, slammed it on his desk. Longie and he were getting on at the time. Longy said, "Don't be ridiculous, but we're going to have to tell everyone about this." And it was over. And I've seen ministers and companies swing on the in the wind for weeks mm. as as journalists prize it out of them. And I'll tell you what: once you know there's something to prize, it be, it's become sport.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it, mm. I mean,
1: it's. I don't want to make that make that sound like a, a horrible person. Yes, um, one of the things that I have learned as a journalist uh, is that there are some people who should know what they're doing when they're in front of a microphone with a journalist, and there are a lot of people who've never done it before. Mm-hmm. And I operate slightly different rules for those for those who don't know, who haven't done a lot of this. You know, generally speaking, uh, most most people, including senior people in the corporate world, think journalists are the scariest people. Yeah. Uh, they they find uh um they find us mysterious. They don't really understand what the news is, although they do actually because they read they read it, uh and we see them reading it. You know we metricate everything and the things which they they would say I'd hate it if that was written about me and I'd be going bloody media. That's the thing they're all reading about the competitor, mm. and if it's accurate and true, then then it's that's that's just comes with the with the patch, um. But uh, I suppose if you want to, if you want to kind of, if you're making comment to a journalist, and they've asked you for an on the record comment, you you're, and you're not used to doing media, you're completely within your rights to say, look, give me ten minutes. I just want to write some bullet points, and I'll come straight back to you. Yeah, the main thing no is do make sure you come back. Yeah. Uh, to the extent that you have the opportunity to, if media um, relationships are going to be important i think there's there's sort of a hard rule for me, which is there's never there's never a waste to um have a coffee with someone who's working in your area i you know different parts of journalism you know, I did a lot of work in mental health uh, law at one stage, just off of mm. a bit of a byway mm. uh, and the psychiatrist and others would say oh but we 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 make all this investment in health journalists and then they go off and become you know a sports reporter or something what what was the point? The thing is, those people will go on to um, other more senior positions throughout news organizations. And, uh, you know, we're magpies and we retain all that knowledge. And it becomes, you know, the more people you can get to understand what you're up to uh, in the journalistic world, it's never going to be a
0: waste. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: But also knowing people before you need to talk to them. Good. It's incredibly incredibly valuable. The important thing is not to make a nuisance of yourself. You need, if you want to get to know a journalist, be sure that you have something, things that you that are going to be relevant to them. Don't just turn up trying to be their mate.
0: Yeah, this is good advice, listeners, um, because Pat does know what he's talking about. Here is, I I think I couldn't agree with you more, hundred percent. I still don't understand the media, and I'm pretty naive in it. That's why I've got you on the show. Is you know, it's a very mysterious, almost kind of like, "Oh my god!" You know, they're going to quote me, misquote me, uh, so I won't talk to them. But what you're saying is, it's better to reach out to a journalist in your sector and get to know them. Obviously, if you've got something to value and build the relationship before you reach out to the relationship. Am I getting that right? That, getting that's that right?
1: right. I mean, if you've established a rapport already with somebody that you know that is going to write about your sector, then uh, it's going to be so much easier for a for them to ring you and for you to negotiate the terms on which you speak. So I will often ring a a trusted source and say, "Look, help me think about this issue. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, there's that and the other things happening. Mm. And I'll say, you know, I'll get a proper understanding of the issue. And then I'll say, well, so uh, what I really would like to be able to quote you as saying something along the lines of blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, then the the source is is confident that, that the journalist has actually heard them, listened to them and got it. Mm. Uh, in a way that's this can be very scary if you if you're being run by some, by a journalist you've never dealt with before. Um, they're possibly in a crisis type situation. They mm. might sound young. They might sound slightly dopey. Uh, mm. They're definitely someone you've never met. It's not the best position to be in. It's better than you Get out, mate. Yeah, yeah
0: you've
1: yeah. got a bit of a death down there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's I suppose like all things, I mean, I know it's such a cliche, but, you know, you, the relationships and the equity of those relationships really, really count, don't they? Because uh, i not necessarily ask you to be more favourable, but at least they're going to give you a go and probably run by what they're going to do. Because I've, it's, I would say one thing that's very naive, would you ever, once you have been interviewed and you know you're on record, and sometimes you might say, look, no, I'll come back to you in 10 minutes. I'm just going to write down my bullet points and get your discussion guide, get your get your facts right, then you phone them back, and importantly, Pat's saying to you guys, if that does happen, do call them back, because I imagine if you use it, if you don't, then that journalist is going to fiddle that story. They're going to file that story anyway, aren't they? Uh,
1: well, uh, they're going to file the story, but without your comment, obviously. Mm. Uh, does that matter? You might you might spend 10 minutes saying, actually, I don't want to be in the story. Yeah, and then the journalist will be disappointed, but that's that's the same same outcome as they had before anyway, isn't
0: it? Correct, because they do so, have you until you until you yeah. decide to or not. So, yeah. you know,
1: these these are tactics. Which you know, some of this is about the way that journalists behave as well. Some some people mm. go. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm reluctant to to generalise about my colleagues as we're a, a diverse bunch, but mm. you know, some journalists do see it as their job to always be looking for the thing that's wrong about something. Right, Uh, and will pursue question lines which make it quite clear that they're actively probing for whatever the problem is, uh, which they then go to make look as awful as possible. Uh, You you get to spot those people. And, yeah. and and you should. questioning when you want somewhat. to horribly damage a uh, a competitor without having any fingerprints on it, you give them a ring. Uh, and uh, if if they want to talk to you about what they think your problem is, uh, you know, give me a ring because I I'll, I'll uh, I'm much better at working out what's really going on. And and um, sometimes it's more interesting. <laughs>
0: So, the other thing is, uh, uh sorry, it's very selfish, but I think maybe useful for listeners as well. Is when uh, when you have been interviewed by a journalist you've met up and they're saying on oh, the record, and I think you've got to assume that everything you say is on the record. Um, and I think you're very fair, Pat, as you always are, as a as a friend and a, and a colleague and a human being, is that you will give people that haven't had like media training a bit more leeway than I those think you've got had. to.
1: I think you've got to. You've got, got to make them, um, uh, comfortable you do have to i mean i will say to people um, i'm willing to check this for accuracy mm. you know there there mm. are there are gradations here there'll be journalists who listen to this and say no you never ever show anybody you copy ever yeah but, there's, but sometimes there are issues which are really hard to understand and you're not quite mm. sure if you've got them right or not and mm. Mm. Um, you know i'm willing to show that to somebody who knows what they're talking about and, and but also to say I don't care if you disagree with, you know, if you disagree with my conclusions on this or the way that I'm treating the story, I don't care. All I'm asking for you is is for errors of fact.
0: Yes. Yeah. Sometimes errors of fact will change the story, of
1: course. So, so, yeah, exactly. Or you'll
0: re release. Mm. So it has to be factually correct. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's really, really good advice there, guys, in terms of that, because it does demystify that kind of. uh, media kind of uncertainty or that panic that we have when a journalist phones us out of the blue and we're front-footing something. But I think your advice has been is if you have made a mistake and you are facing crisis, and I mean we haven't got time to talk about crisis management in any great depth that justifies it because you, you're probably pretty bloody good at this, is that you've got to front it and front-up, and tell the bloody truth, right?
1: Front-up, tell the truth. In certain types of crisis, you also have to have role-played how you're going to do it because mm. sometimes you're dealing with extremely valuable or, or potentially distressing information involving inv- individuals, and mm. you can't get that stuff wrong. Yep. So you, that, that was what really struck me about, about the, we never had one at Contact Energy. But we did do real crisis exercises. It was the idea that you had to be incredibly fast, like incredibly fast, incredibly mm. accurate. Mm. Uh, and those two things don't always go together. No.
0: It's like what, you what, uh, remember the slingshooter, uh, don't know if he's real or not, um, not a big Western movie fan, but he said, speed is good, accuracy is everything. <laughs> yes, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, um, cool. So, you know, we've, we've done a lot around, you know, the press gallery and everything else. What is it? What are the biggest mistakes you see companies make when trying to pitch their story into media outlets like yourselves? Because you guys, without blowing up your, blowing your tires too high, you're, you're, you're at a high grade there. You know, you're not some, you're not just some local community paper and they have a very good role as well in terms of their local, um, constituents and community. But, you know, where you are at and and dealing with the big corporates and, and the politics and, and the roller decks that you do have. Um, what would your what are some of the biggest mistakes you see companies making when they're approaching you to sort of try and get favorable media coverage? Uh,
1: well, there's a bunch of things that happen a lot. Uh, one is that, it's, that, that they actually haven't got a story to tell, it's actually <laughs> frankly dull. Uh, it may well be quite worthy, uh, and maybe some feature writer could turn it into something, but it's not a news story, yeah. Um, Another thing that happens a lot, although I'd have to say it happens more through the use of public relations agencies which hand these kinds of jobs to relatively junior staff who who I feel like it must be like being one of those people who tries to get you to sign up for UNICEF on the street, you know, mm. trying to get journalists to take an interest in, you know, someone's invented something in their garage in Invercargill and they might sell something at some stage. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not that interesting. Uh, you know, mm. so there are some rules sort of for business stories. You know, there needs to be some dollars in it. You know, yeah. Take the bull by the horns and and commit to some numbers so that we can get some sense of the scale. You, you can see – you get things where you think, oh, that sounds very interesting, and you discover it's only worth about you – know, Half a million dollars or something mm, um, mm. they didn't put that in and it's mm. it's unless that is a, an amazing story of some kind that's not a huge amount of capital i mean we we want to we want to know about all the sub listed companies which are um looking for private capital possibly considering public market listing at some stage um, mm. probably looking at debt funding at the moment Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of businesses out there, particularly in the New Zealand agri-tech sector, which we don't know about and which I wish we did. Very often, those companies don't really want to talk to a journalist. They don't need to. They're going trundling along happily doing what they're doing, and, and media coverage might actually be a nuisance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I understand that. But from our perspective, the easiest thing for us to do at Business desks is to cover the NZX and the listed companies because they have such high disclosure rules. We get to know a lot about them. Which is mm. a huge and useful discipline on a growing, big, bigger growing company, but mm. you know, it's it's not where everyone raises capital by any means these days. So mm. we're really interested in all the kind of you know who's who's putting money in out on the you know. Feel free to ring me with these kinds of tips. Uh, intel, mm. you know, something mm. that gives me some intel is really what mm. what I'm after. Mm. You know, I might mm. end up writing about it, but the main thing is it's 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 deepening my understanding of your sector for some reason. That's with. Yep. Me doing. I think the other thing is that a lot of um, PR companies, in particular, don't do, which anyone could do, is if you went to the Business Desk site, you'd see that Rebecca Howard is the agricultural editor. So ring her and get hold of Rebecca rather than ring me mm-hmm. uh, because she's who I'm going to ring about it anyway. Mm. uh you know most people have some degree of, of sort of round split up and so i um, try to get try to get the relevant reporter if you if you just yeah. want to chat something Good. over uh, rather advanced. than the, the the head of news or the editor is, is constantly answering those kinds of questions uh, at a much higher level sort of like yeah. you know somebody's written this and, and lawyers say we can't run it you know, yep. that's what i have to give my time to yeah
0: 100 percent so as i say <clears throat> target the right relevant reporter uh, journalists and, yeah. and know, know
1: who they are. Know what you're trying to do as well. So mm. um, if you've got a, a, a good strategy your, your earned media will only be a part of it obviously mm. uh, and that's the weird thing about the dynamic you were talking about before where uh, nobody wants to talk to a journalist but if you do talk to a journalist even though there are all these other channels that people can find out about you through journalism is still trusted in a way that Your social media channel isn't. Mm, mm. And,
0: you know, because of that, forgive me, Pat, to help me understand that. Because of that fourth estate sort of thing?
1: uh, Well, I mean, I think it's massively diminished in the last sort of 10, 15 years. I'm not Mm. not trying to pretend that everyone thinks we're gods, but Mm. it remains the case that earned media uh, is much more read than advertisements.
0: Oh, absolutely <clears> 100 percent. <throat> excuse me we know that from um from uh, from our days at contact you know mm. uh i always say that you know people don't buy don't buy media to read the ads they unless they're you know flicking through a uh rural trade magazine that's selling tractors and headers and mowers and, and rakers and everything else but yeah i think um very good advice there and then tell me maybe we could move to because i think that was very useful tell me who do you think? Managing their media really well um, at the moment in the rural space in the agricultural space, or if you haven't got an answer for that, generally like companies that are managing their media well, who think who are kind of on the front foot, got good relations. Yeah, well, who's doing it well? And I'd love to know who who you think is doing it wrong and and why they're doing it wrong.
1: Yeah, look, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in the. uh, in the agricultural sector, I, so, the, so the, the examples that I give of companies that I think doing a good job uh, might seem slightly random. Um, Tatua, I think, does mm. a great job, particularly when you see them in market in Japan. Um, I think uh, at the other end of the scale in terms of, of problems, the fertilizer industry has got a real problem with this whole phosphorus coming from Western Sahara. Uh, they ought to be able to win that argument, but I don't think they will be able to. Um, it's a very complicated issue, which I've attempted to get to the bottom of. And I think the, the basic, basically, where I got to was that the Western Saharans are quite pleased to have some jobs, which involve yeah. mining phosphate, and yeah. uh, it's you know it's, it, there aren't that many places it comes from. And the alternatives for New Zealand are things like mining phosphate mod- nodules off the Chatham Rise, uh, very high, uh, very good low cadmium, I think it is, that they worry about. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but in an orange roughy fishing ground and uh, an undersea, a uh, you know, deep sea uh, mining operation, and there's a, there's a whole global movement against deep sea mining, which is mm. proving broadly successful. So, you know, you've got to get phosphate from somewhere. Uh, mm. Take that a step further. The whole question of the amount of nitrogen, uh, being released into New Zealand, I don't know so much about Australia, but in, in uh, New Zealand, clearly, um, you know, nitrogen is, is the sort of the third greenhouse gas that we don't think about, uh, and we wouldn't all be alive on this planet if we hadn't started using a huge amount more of it. But man, it's it's got a, a significant climate change and and sort of uh, soil and water degradation impact, mm. uh, which we're going to have to, to sort.
0: Mm. It's kind of a w- it's a wicked problem, isn't it? Because Where food security and food scarcity has been on the agenda, you know, Ukraine and obviously those wheat, wheat, you know, big, big wheat growing area. Um, And, you know, we have to find a way in which we can balance because, you know, I think during COVID, excuse my bias, but I think the rural economy was, had some of its respect restored because it was the only bloody one actually making any money for the country. It was the only thing that was earning any export dollars. What would you say to that?
1: I think that's one of the great surprises of the last 35 years for someone who came in to work for for Douglas and Longy. You remember Longy used to basically say, you know, the farming industry is a dying industry. Well, that actually has not been the case. Our agriculture industry and our production of food and fibre is still hugely important. I, I still think as a country, though, that we haven't gone we haven't made nearly as much use of a lot of this, the science and capacity that we actually already have. I'm thinking particularly mm. of, of um, plastics and resins and so forth from wood, uh, mm. actual products made from wood which are which are, uh, you know, highly malleable, you know, mm. Mm. almost sort of three D printing style stuff. Which is same, you
0: know, same with same with strong wall pat. You know, there's some uh, amazing work being done there as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so going up the value chain, why haven't we gone up the value chain? There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, mm. So in terms of co- companies, that's partly why I like Tartua, because they have um, they have gone up the value chain with dairy products. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the very few New Zealand companies with the capacity to do so, because even though I think Fonterra has actually improved enormously under Miles Hurrell mm. uh, from the Theo Spearings uh, days of yore,
0: the uh, $8 million man. Yeah. Where is
1: turn now? I care. don't know.
0: It's, it's like, where's Wally, isn't it? Like, where is he? Yeah.
1: It'll be comfortable where it is. Mm. Uh, mm. Um, but, yeah, you know frontier I, I, I regard it as, as a dead hand on the capacity of the New Zealand dairy sector to innovate for high-value products. We. You know, mm. I think it's a. Do
0: you think that? Do you think that's because of the capital constraint there, Pat? You know the fact with that corporate model.
1: Yep. I mean, I think you know, corporate ownership means that you're only as good as you only can only raise capital against what your shareholder base can do, and most people have their capital tied up in the in the farm.
0: Mm, we had that with obviously with the Chinese buying into silver and Farms and, uh, well, with yeah, some milk. We said, and, um, you know, the Malaysian, and then I think there's a, a new, um, new, uh, dairy processing going up in, um, Togera, I believe, as well. Sounds with right. The, with, with the Singaporeans or Malaysians or Singaporeans. I, mean, actually? I think, Ophi. I
1: mean, one of the stories I think is going to be really quite fun this year is, um, thinking of Chinese investors in New Zealand's dairy industry, that uh, Westland uh, milk is owned by, by Chinese shareholders. Mm. Uh, and they have spent $40 million to double their um, FMCG butter-making butter, butter making capacity and have gone mm. into something like 500 stores in Walmart across, the, across North America, which is a massive opportunity for them. Huge. Uh, and they're going in beside Kerry Gold, an Irish brand, yeah. Which is a behemoth, yeah, and, and which dope. is also, but it also has the grass-fed thing going on, which which is unusual mm. for. Mm. So we're we're actually sp- specific competitors in the way that we farm uh, mm. compared to Ireland, and mm. uh, yeah, the, the manufacturers that carry gold are, are taking uh, Western milk to court in California to, uh, to to you know that's you can't use that yellow. Our thing's got a cow on it. You can't have a cow on it. Uh, you know this 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 writing looks a bit similar. And they, certainly, oh, did. they yeah. certainly did change it for the American market from what they, how they sell West Gold in New Zealand. But I think mm-hmm. it's a bit of an uphill climb for for no, Kerry. Always,
0: people give themselves away by the things they do, right? I always uh, What was Andrew Kanaji's quote? He said, uh, I, don't, I don't listen to what men say. I watch what they do. And that tells me all I need to know. So, you know, if you want to know something about someone, watch what they do, not what they say, right? Uh, or better still, look where they spend their time and their money. That'll, that'll tell you where their priorities are. On that, because um, I, you know, you're probably not prepared where we're going to go, but like I, I was talking about this <clears throat> with friends uh, over the break, is the whole regenerative ag thing. I'm not a Julia Jones or um, you know, uh, you know, the KPMGs and the M Proudfoot's talking about this stuff and on all the, all the Fort leadership, but soil is, I think going to be very much on the agenda, you know, the health of our soils and the loss of productive soils and, Mm. you know, the balance of being able to produce enough food to sustain economy and export earnings but also the degradation of our soils. And, you know, um, maybe I could throw one in there as well, you know, like Jeff Ross on Country Calendar, you know, with um, um, shearing with um, pillows that the sheep could sort of sit on and stuff like that. And it's interesting how that was. I
1: caught up with that actually. Did you not catch that? No well that's that's, so it's a, that's very well meaning i'm sure
0: yeah yeah so it's all around animal um trying to get market signals from from this market for merino sheep where um mm. you know animal cruelty and welfare and, and probably Americans not understanding that you actually need to shear sheep also from an animal, um, husbandry and animal <laughs> health perspective. <laughs> Never like let them go to the golden shears. And, fly strike and, and and shit all around their bum, basically. Yeah. So it's actually really important to shear them. Mm. Um, so I think they were, you know, I think they are certainly, um, bloody good marketers and, and I think they got fairly hard beaten up for that, you know, maybe a bit since it, but yeah, the source side is really interesting and the, Regeneration, you know, is that on the media agenda? You know, uh, oh. degradation of our soils. Is anyone uh, well? That there's,
1: there's on on my agenda certainly is um, uh, flood risk from climate change mm. affecting, mm. Uh, particularly uh, river river uh, affected areas, which are often mm. you know flats where people graze stock. Um, so that that's a big that's a big issue, including the sort of uh, forced retreats or managed retreat that they talk about a bit. Um, sorry. What was the what was the other element to that?
0: Oh, it's just we were talking about like what was what's on the media's agenda in terms of ag. Oh, and yeah, you were the, yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry. Um,
0: like, what are they looking? What What are you guys thinking about when you talk to Rebecca? What are the things you're thinking about? you're obviously talking about flood, um, and um, riverbeds and and flats. There, you've been talking about the phosphorus uh fertilizer thing yeah. in, in Western Sahara. Yeah, Ag- agtech, NZ oil.
1: agtech. What's happening? Yeah. Are we, and, and are we saying- any good? Who's anybody raising any money? Are people doing things we don't know about? I mean, you've got old um, Malcolm Bailey, former head of Federated Farmers, up in Palmerston North. He, he can whip out his phone and show you a, a picture of a a um, a, pr- a robotic pruning machine in operation in California in real time for the, the mm. company that he's involved with. That sort of thing I think is mm. extremely mm. interesting and will will be the future of agriculture.
0: Yeah, we, we're kind of hiding our hiding it a bit under our bushel, you know, sometimes. I think there's some really smart stuff like Steve Saunders and Robotics Plus and then Larry well, the, Ellison I think and what he's been doing thing,
1: around. The other thing that strikes me is that, that, that I I'm, would be very concerned if I was uh, particularly reliant on the uh, regional seasonal employment scheme because – there's too much coming out about that being a kind of almost like a kind of indentured labor uh, mm. in terms of the conditions that people are living in. It'd be bad news for those Pacific Islanders if that was all robotized. But the reason that we need them is that we don't have enough people here to do this work. And, yeah. you know, I think this current weird business post COVID, where previously you couldn't, there were too many people to do everything, and now there's nobody to do anything. Uh, mm. So it feels, um, mm. you know, that's that's only going to get worse. And yeah, and be universal.
0: Think, and I think a uh, good good point about the RIC workers, obviously being here based in Hawke's Bay, we see a lot of that. There's a lot of the big guys like the TNGs and Mr. Apples. They have literally people that are looking after those guys and making sure they have the right accommodation. Uh, look, I'm sure and the right there,
1: there are good employers. I'm sure, and the larger ones, yeah. I would expect to be good employers. They have yeah. to be. Um, right. But but um, automation of all kinds of of uh, otherwise manual or industrial processes is just going to accelerate. And and I. One, I'm not particularly concerned about it in the sense that that's how the global economy has been um, developing for the last hundred years or so. Uh, we yeah. all get to do more interesting stuff than we used to.
0: That's right. That's right. I mean, we we, we have semi automation is not a new thing. We already have semi automated cars anyway. Mm. You know, um, there's a number of things our cars do in terms of assisted braking or lanes or rest of it. Now, Pat, just conscious of respecting your time, and um, I had two more questions for you. And I always ask this all my guests. Probably first of all the worst advice you've ever been given personally or professionally, you don't have to share who gave that to you, but like what's the advice that was really maybe um, not very good or, or might have been well-intended but actually pretty bloody useless for you? I think I've been lucky with mentors. I, I mean, I I can
1: remember some sort of amazing moments of, of uh, dissonance. Like I know we've spent all this money on the brand, but we can't do any of the brand stuff uh, at the moment because that that won't kick in for a year or two. So we'll just, you know, subtext, we'll just be bastards in the meantime like we always have been until the brand starts working. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's not, it <laughs> that's not how it works.
0: That's not how it works. That's not how it works because it's funny that fusion that you have with your journalistic hat and your comms and your PR and then your brand hat. And when I was working, you, were, you know, supporting you on the brand and marketing side is – yeah, so you know, a lot of people don't understand that actually. Yeah, you you know, think about what you did, particularly. And I helped you with on the um, on the Healthy Homes initiative with Eco. I mean, that was that was phenomenal. I, I thought you were making real impact there. With I am so people. proud and of that, that work, uh,
1: you know, and and uh, of that of the team that did that work because uh, yeah, you know, that two oh five oh six. Yep. people didn't know none of the stuff about it. just draw your curtains, get some bloody insulation, and put in a heat pump. Yeah, all these ways to yep. make yep. better yep. use anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, you did a grand job there, Pat. And I think you know, Philippa Howard and Chapman. How to tip to her and University of Otago yeah. and yourself, and 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 you know, getting, uh, creating some real good, like some real social impact, because there's a lot of diet. Uh, you know, it's still a lot. I think that the everyone's much more aware of the asthma and and days off school and mm-hmm. absenteeism and kids not learning in schools and hospitals. Is if we can get dry uh warm homes we can solve a lot of a lot of problems yeah. um
1: and people so are paying pa- a lot for electricity so they need to get maximum value out of it that was, the, that was my whole thing
0: yeah yeah thank you very 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 important um some of the some of the best advice you've been given apart from sure. like haas engine because it's well, really cool yeah
1: yeah all, all those things that you told me to do which which came out really <laughs> really well obviously uh top of the list um Look, I think the things that I've learnt, which which are really important, uh, I've never had a plan, but but mm. I have never been oblivious to what's, what I might want to do next. So I think mm-hmm. uh, I I I, th- I think plans are are a, can be a brick to disappointment, uh, depending on how inflexible they are, uh, and front up, mm. you know, um, apologising works, you know, mm. as long as you do I it agree. properly. Uh, admitting that you're wrong is an adult thing to do, mm. Um, mm. and and how you carry yourself in the putting right is often decisive in how yeah. people judge you. Ongoingly, and you can actually make things better if you get that right. But generally yeah. speaking, I would say that if you're going to do that, expect a lot of pushback from your legal team <laughs> because because mm. they they they're, they're p- trained to. Ident- risk. Identify risk and tell you not to take it. Or many yeah. people think that's what lawyers are doing. In fact, all they're doing is saying there's a risk. You've got to decide whether to take it. But it sounds worse yeah. than that a lot of the time.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, and the reality of the of a the, of situation where you've got a problem is that you need something back, an, ex- an exchange of some kind. You have to give something mm. Uh, mm. A- and to acknowledge that people are owed an apology. And if you try mm. and try and sugarcoat it or come up, you know, nobody cares why nobody ever cares why they just want somebody to say sorry yeah
0: yeah i agree and i think you know uh as i grow up and mature cuz it's i think it's you know we probably worked together at least ooh, 12 15 years ago yeah, um more. over my time and you know a bit of water under the bridge is is, is understanding that we are 100% responsible and we have to take ownership for our own Things and and yeah, there's no point spinning it and bullshitting it. I think, I think, I think telling your truth is actually very important.
1: I think, I, I you know, I don't know who who whether there are CEOs in the audience or um, people who report to CEOs. Another thing though is that there are times when when that leadership has to come from the CEO. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think th- think um, senior executives are entitled to say to the CEO in some circumstances, no, I'm not going to do this front. This This needs to be you because it's not going to work unless it's you. This is, this is you. below my
0: pay grade. You need to front up. Exactly. Because mm. mm. it's not going to work yeah. otherwise.
1: You know, that's the bit they need to understand. It's not that, now, it's Patrick- not that you're a coward. It's just you're saying it's no point.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think when I my late father said they get paid the big bucks, they've got to front up. Mm. You know, that's that's what they're paid to do. Good – Pat. hey – Thanks for coming on the show. I think we've I think we've learned a lot about you. Um, I'm looking forward to having a, well, maybe not a beer, but like catch up with you when I'm next in Wellington because you very kindly lent me your podcast studio that time, um, and really appreciate your generosity in terms of your advice. I'd say, Patrick, uh, you are a very, very kind human being. You have a good humanness <laughs> to you. So um, you've always cared greatly. Uh, about me Uh, and I feel that um, I've learned a lot from you and I certainly know we collectively had our challenges at Contact Energy uh, for the reasons we discussed and I think we both learned a lot from it and um, yeah, privileged to call you mate and great to have you on the show and thank you for sharing all your advice with the listeners because I think even just one or two of those things are absolute gold because of of your experience and your track record and where you've come from and, and, and the sheer volume of inquiries that you get every day.
1: Oh know, my pleasure.
0: Awesome, Pat. Go well, man, and I'll see you in Wellington. Cheers. Hey, you. Hope you enjoyed that episode and you learned lots from it. It takes a wee bit of work to get these wonderful guests onto the show who share their knowledge with you freely and generously. So it kind of makes sense for me to ask you a tiny, tiny, small favor in return, and that is to ask you to rate, follow, subscribe, or share this podcast whenever you get time with friends, family members, colleagues, neighbors, or anyone in your network you think might benefit from it. The reason for my request here is a simple one, and it's because I'm on a mission, and that mission is to elevate and improve the world's perception of rural sales reps by sharing more effective sales and marketing strategies so we get you and them the results and respect that you all deserve the thing is I can only do that when you can help me get this podcast out to a bigger audience and that's the reason the whole reason I created this podcast in the first place which is to help you guys so as you know I've got nothing to sell you here I don't include any of those annoying ads that affect your listening and learning experience so I just want to thank you for sharing the show and more importantly thank you for investing your time with me appreciate it and appreciate you